Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of John. The Gospel record of John and chapter number 14. The Gospel 17, the Gospel record of John, chapter number 17. We are on our last message in the series of the Upper Room Discourse. And in, within this series, we've watched as Jesus has taken time with his disciples. He has pulled them separately and is trying to explain to them that in a little while their world is going to change. In a little while everything they know is going to be turned upside down. In a little while they'll no longer see Jesus but in a little while they'll see him in a way that they've never seen him before. And now Jesus has taken them from the upper room. He has walked with them from Jerusalem down through the valley up to the Mount of Olives and now has found himself with his disciples inside of the Garden of Gethsemane. Inside of the Garden of Gethsemane, we kneel together with Jesus. As Jesus now prays, he's no longer talking to the disciples. He is no longer addressing the crowds. He is now talking to his Father. And we have the great privilege to take the Bible and to eavesdrop on Jesus as he begins to pray and have an intimate conversation with his father just hours before he goes to the cross. Think about this perspective that Jesus Christ knows in a couple of hours he is going to be arrested. In a couple of hours he's going to be put on a false, uh, in a false illegal trial. In a couple of hours he's going to be found guilty. And a couple of hours, the people who just a couple days before were singing praises and, hell and hosanna to our king were now cry, crucify him, crucify him. In a couple of hours, he's going to die one of the most tragic, horrible deaths that any man has ever known. In just a couple of hours, he's going to die. In a couple of hours, he's going to be borrowed, uh, buried in a borrowed tomb. And a couple of hours knowing that your death is imminent. And a couple of hours knowing that it is coming soon. Knowing now your hour has drawn nigh. What would you pray? What would your talk with God be about? Would it be about yourself? What would the prayer of Jesus be like? If you don't mind in this somber holy time. Let us reverently kneel beside Jesus and let us eavesdrop as he begins to talk to his father. And let's see that in just a couple of hours, knowing that he's going to die, what does he pray at this time? If you don't mind, take your copy of the word of God and turn with me to the gospel record of John 17. The gospel record of John 17 and notice with me in verse number one. John 17 and verse one. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son may also glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, 
that he might give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept my, thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them. And have known surely that I came out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. But for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine. And all mine are thine. And thine are mine. And I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world. But these are in the world. And I come unto thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou have given me. That they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shalt keep, shouldest keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I might sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may be one in us, and the world might believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou and me, that they may be perfect in one. And the world may know that thou hast sent me, hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. 
and these have known that thou hast sent me. I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of John? The gospel record of John chapter 17. And notice the phrase in verse number 4. John 17 in verse 4. Notice the declarative statement Jesus makes. I have finished the work. I have finished the work. And with this, we see the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ as he takes time to declare to God in prayer, I have finished the work. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you. For you dying on the cross for us. For you paying our price for what you have done in our lives. We're thankful for the salvation that you made available for us at the cross and that we could live henceforth forever for you. I thank you as we study this high priestly prayer that we see that you prayed for us, that you prayed for us here today and that you have a plan for us as you have finished your work and now you have a desire that your workers continue to go on with the work that you've set forth. Help us as we understand this high priestly prayer. As we see this prayer that you talk to the Father. And that we can have a better understanding of whom you are. By listening to your prayer. And in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Jesus Christ pulls close to God in prayer. What a great privilege it is that we have the opportunity to eavesdrop and to listen to the prayer of Jesus Christ, to hear him to pour out his heart, to hear him to talk to his father. What is he talking to his father about during this time? Well, the first thing I'd like to show you in John 17 in this high priestly prayer of the Lord is the work God gave him. The work God gave him. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son may be glorify thee. Jesus starts off with this statement. The hour is come. It has now come time for Jesus to fulfill what he came on this earth to do. Why was Jesus born? He was born to die. Why did he live his life? He was born to die. He lived to come to the one point in time. And that was to the time of the cross. And now as Jesus Christ is in the garden of Gethsemane. And he's talking to his father. Knowing that in just a matter of hours. He's going to the cross. He takes this time. This silent time. Before all the chaos erupts. Spins with his father. Says the hour is now come. The hour has now come. Jesus Christ has now arrived to the point in time in history where he's going to die for the sins of the entire world. As you study this, you'll notice that there's never a reference to the cross without also explaining the glory that comes because of the cross. That when Jesus Christ is going to the cross, we understand it is one of the worst things that ever could happen to a person in all of history. 
But God was also good and God was also right to allow Jesus Christ to die on the cross. But because of that, every single one of us can accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, that all of us can have forgiveness of sins. Because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, we can have fellowship with God. And we can glorify God for what He has done in our life. That the, that the traumatic event of the cross also comes with the glory that God is glorified because of the cross. Notice with me as we examine this a little bit more in verse number 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Here we see that Jesus Christ has been granted power over all flesh. And that every person who has come to God for salvation... Jesus Christ has granted eternal life. What a great privilege that we have, that we can have eternal life just by going to God. That's as simple as it is to have eternal life. What is eternal life, by the way? Notice with me in verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, though only true God. And Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. What is eternal life? It is knowing who God is. You understand? Heaven is a perfect place. It's why we want to go there. There's no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more tears. But what makes heaven really worth going there? Because God is there. And we get to spend time with him. But remember, eternal life does not begin when you die. It begins the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And at the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can know God personally. That is the goal. That is the life that God wants you to have, to know Him. That is the privilege we have with eternal life. Remember that Sin had separated us from God. The whole reason why God created man in the first place is that God wanted to have fellowship with man. But because of sin, sin separated us and God. That we can no longer fellowship with God because of God's holiness. He cannot stand, be in the presence of sin. And because we're imperfect, we can't do anything about the, the sin in our life. Jesus Christ died to take that sin away from us, to give us forgiveness of sins for the purpose that we can fellowship with God once again. That when someone gets saved, it's not fire insurance. It's not, woohoo, I get out of hell free. The whole purpose of salvation is to allow a person access to God, fellowship with God. This is life eternal. This is the everlasting life that we get to enjoy forever and ever and ever. But not just when we die. You can enjoy the everlasting life you have right now by getting to know God personally. That is eternal life. Notice with me in verse 3. And this is life eternal that they might know thee. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Notice as verse 4 continues on. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work 
which thou gavest me to do. And verse 4, we could see that Jesus finished the work that God had given him. Why did he come to earth? He came to earth to die. And now he's looking at the death of the cross. He knows he's headed that away. That is where he's heading to. He's going to the cross to pay for your sins and for mine. He's done the work that God asked him to do. Verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world. Here in verse 5, this is a special verse. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. In verse 5, we clearly see that Jesus did not start at Bethlehem, but Jesus Christ was here before the world even was. And that Jesus Christ had glory. Why? Because Jesus Christ is God. And Jesus Christ stepped down from the glories of heaven and clothed himself in flesh and dwelt among us. And now that he has finished his work, he is going to take off that robe of flesh. And his glory is going to be evident, manifest once again. Notice with me in verse 6. And I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were... And thou gavest them me. And they have kept my word. You know in verse 6 it says. We are a special present. Given to Jesus. By God. We're a present to Jesus. God says here I'm going to give you these men. I'm going to give you these ladies. I'm going to give you these people. And I want you to have them. What a great thing. That God considers us a gift. And he gave us to Jesus. So Jesus can, can forgive us of our sins. To wash us clean. Verse number uh, 7 if you don't mind. And now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. Now, Jesus is saying now they all know that they, <laughs> all things came from God. That it was God that gave it to these things. We're recognizing that Jesus was sent from God. Notice verse 8. For I have given unto them the words which thou hast givest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. Jesus gave us the words of God, and the people believed Jesus because of the words. How did you get saved, by the way? Someone told you about the Bible. It is the words of the Bible, the God's words that brings us salvation. It is God's words that are the words of life. And God has given us these words so we can understand who Jesus is and who God is because of them. Verse number 9, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, <laughs> but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And verse number 9, we see that in this prayer, Jesus isn't taking time to pray for the world. He is praying specifically for those that have been given to him. He says, now is my time that I'm praying for these people. He says, I'm going to the cross. Things are going to change. I'm praying for those who have accepted me as their Savior. I am praying for them at this time. Notice in verse 10, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Notice this, how is God glorified? By what God has given to them. What has God given to Jesus? God has given us to Jesus. How was God glorified? By us. How does that work? Well, we start off as wretched sinners who hate God. 
The Bible talks about in the book of Romans 5.8. For God commendeth his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That word commendeth means prove. So God proved. God commendeth his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What is this gift that God gave to Christ? That we start off as sinners who hate God. And we were confronted with the truth that we are sinners who need a savior. And Jesus paid our price for us. And now we can have fellowship. Now our sins are forgiven. And because of our lives, we can glorify God by saying, look, this was someone on their way to hell. And now they could worship God. Only God can do that. And God is glorified by that. And so we start off with the work that Jesus did. The work that, uh, the work that God gave to Jesus. Now, if you don't mind, let's continue as Jesus changes the type, uh, tone of the prayer a little bit. That he starts off by thanking God and, and acknowledging the work is finished. His hour has come. But now he prays for the workers still left in this world. The workers still left in this world. Notice with me in verse number 11. And now I am no more in the world. But these are in the world. And I have come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Here Jesus has already detached himself from the world. He's finished with this world as far as his physical presence is done. Now as Jesus had to leave, he had to leave the disciples here with him. So Jesus, as he's praying, he's praying for the disciples and he's acknowledging, all right, I've got to go. I'm going to die. I'm going to ascend up to heaven. God, I'm trusting you to keep these followers, these disciples, these believers. God, you take care of them for me. And so he's praying for the disciples that are left behind, that Jesus is no longer physically present with them after the death of the cross. Now, God's going to have to keep them and take care of them, and God will. Verse number 12. And while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those whom thou givest me, I kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. In verse number 12, Jesus reviews that he kept them while he was on the earth. He said, you gave me those 11 who accepted me, I've kept them. Judas never accepted me. That's the son of perdition that was done to fulfill scripture. That was part of scripture and part of God's understanding of what plan, what was going on, that Judas was going to betray him. But those 11, they were all saved. They were all kept. They were all protected. Verse number 13. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Here Jesus is praying and as he's talking to God, he says, I need to leave so that they may have the joy. Remember, we've explained joy, that joy isn't having a crazy uh, smile painted on your face all the time, but it is a peace that passeth all understanding. That because of what Jesus Christ has done, we can have a great peace that doesn't make sense to the world. That when the world's falling apart around us, when things in our life are falling apart, we can still have a peace because of what Jesus Christ has done. That no matter what this world does, they cannot take away our salvation. No matter what this world has done, they cannot erase what Jesus did for us on the cross. And that we could have a settlement that we're going to be on this world. It's only going to be for a little while. And then we could be with him. 
Notice as the Bible continues on. In verse number 14 and 15, he's praying for his disciples. Verse 14 and 15. I have given them thy word, and the world hateth, hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of this world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shalt keep them from the evil. In verses 14 and 15, Jesus is praying for the protection of the disciples. He says, as he's talking to his father, he says, I know the world hates him. The world hated you, the world hated me, and the world's going to hate the disciples because they're followers of me. But I'm praying that you protect them. Jesus specifically say, I'm not, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. They still need to be here. I'm praying that God protects you. By the way, God's praying for you protection here. He, he does not want you removed from this world. You ever wonder why sometimes we're left behind? Why isn't that we just get saved and just not go to heaven? Wouldn't it be easier that way just to get saved and poof and we're gone? Why are you left behind? Because God has a work for you to do. There is a perfect plan for you and that he wants to protect you from the evil of the world but he still has a plan for you on this life. And so he desires for you to stay here and not be removed from the world. Physically, we're talking about. Notice as it goes on in 16 and 17, Jesus is still praying for them. And they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And verses 16 and 17, Jesus is praying for their purity. Now before he says, I'm praying that they're not taken out of the world. And he's dealing with the idea of taking out physically. And verses 16 and 17, but I'm praying that they're sanctified. In this case, we could put in our minds, our ideas, that to be taken out of the world spiritually. Or dealing with the idea of the fellowship of the world. I'm praying that they're sanctified. By the way, how is someone sanctified? The word sanctified means to belong to God. To become sinless. To become sinning less and less and less. We cannot become sinless in this world. That's in a future event. But why we're in this world, God wants to make us so we sin less and less and less. How do we become sin less and less and less is it do we just sit here and wake up in the morning and go come on i'm not gonna sit i'm not gonna sit i'm gonna try hard today is that how it works reading our, reading our bible notice if you don't mind again at verse 17 sanctify them through thy truth thy word is truth how are you separated from the world unto the lord by the word of god by the word of God. That is what washes us clean. That's what draws us close to him. That's what gives us protection from the world. And the influences of the world. That is how we're separated from the influence of the world. We are not separated physically. Meaning that we still have to live here. We have to deal with people. You can't go up to a cabin and kind of hole up and wait for Jesus to come. We still have to live in this world. But we don't have to be of the world. And we have to have the word of God to keep us protected from the influences of the world. Notice in verses 18 and 19 as Jesus continues to pray. Verse 18. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. And verses 18 and 19, Jesus is praying for the disciples, those who are going to be left behind. Jesus is going to the cross. Things are changing for him. He's going to be physically removed from them. 
But the disciples, they need to continue on. They need to continue with the work. And Jesus is praying for, for them as they continue their, the, Jesus' work in the world. Then notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 20. Verse 20 is great. If you don't have it star highlighted, this would be a good time to do it. Notice verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And verse number 20, you know who he's praying for? He's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's not just praying for the disciples that those 11 would be protected. He's also praying for all those who will ever accept Jesus as their Savior. That he prays. What did he pray for the disciples? Well, he prayed that they're not going to be removed physically from the world, but they're going to be removed spiritually from the world. That they're going to be sanctified by God's word and that they will continue with the work that God has set for them. And in verse number 20, Jesus is praying for you. You are in his mind as he's praying. Notice as it continues to go on in verse 21. That they all may be one. As thou father art in me and I in thee. That they may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou hast given me. I have given them that they may be one. Even as I am one. In this passage here, it's talking a lot about oneness. And he's trying to say, I'm praying that those people who accept me, that they're going to be one. Now, we understand in all of the history of Christendom, that there's never been a time where every Christian believed the same thing. It's not going to happen. There's too many opinions, too many thoughts, too many uh, this and that and whatnot. And so, how, how can we see a oneness that will glorify God? Well, this is where we have the local assemblies, the local churches. That a local church can be one. They're going to have a unity as everyone is looking unto Jesus. And as there's a congregation, a assembled group of people that have a oneness that glorifies God. And the rest of the community notices and says there's something to that. There's something to that. That's why a oneness, a unity within a church is so important. How do we get unity? By keeping all of our eyes on Jesus. We all have to be looking up. And as we're looking up, we're going the same speed, the same direction, with the same purpose, to the same goal. We're moving to the same place. That's the oneness that God wants us to have. It does not happen when we're all trying to get our own way. It doesn't happen when we're all trying to get accomplished our own agendas. It only happens when our eyes are on him. And as there is a local group of Christians who have a oneness together. And their purpose is Christ. Their goal is God. The community notices and says there's something to that. There's something different about that group of people. What is it that has that group? Notice again in verse number 23. And I in them and thou in me that thou may be perfect in one. That the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou has loved me. Here we can see that Christ gave us the glory that was in him. Now this wasn't his deity but it was the life lived by Christ as we die to self and Christ lives for us that we continue to move forward that we continue to go with oneness and that as Christ lives in us and we're dead to self the world is reached around us 
You understand as Jesus is praying, he's looking ahead at the future. He's looking at this time here. And he's saying, I'm praying that there's a group of people that assemble together with a oneness. And that oneness brings glory to God. You understand churches that are at war with each other does not bring glory to God. Churches that are trying to to fight whether they want blue carpet or red carpet and there's a church split and the people who like blue carpet over here and the people who like green carpet over here and they don't talk to each other anymore, that doesn't bring glory to God. But as people have the same purpose, the same goal, the same spirit, the same goal, the community notices and says there's something to that and God gets glory from that. That our goal has to be God. And Jesus is praying for them at this time. So we understand that we started off that we, <laughs> Jesus is addressing the work that God gave to him. Then Jesus turns the attention to the workers that are left behind. One last thing as we approach this passage. As Jesus is praying and talking to God. He ends with this high note. Who God really was. Who God really was. Notice with me in verse 24. Father... I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that, thou may, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou hast loved me before the foundation of this world. Here we see that Christ desires for us to be with him. He wants us to be with him. Then we can behold his glory, this time the glory of his deity, the Remember that Jesus Christ is God who robed himself in flesh. And that as we get to know God, as we get to know Christ, we realize that Christ is God. And he was God the whole time. Jesus took time to explain to his disciples earlier in person, face to face, where he said, you want to know the Father? You get to know me. If you know me, you will know God. And so we can know God by getting to know Jesus Christ personally. Notice with me in verse 25. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. And these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it. And the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. We understand that the world does not know who God is. But Jesus knew who God is. And Jesus declared to the world as a final revelation. Remember the word revelation carries the idea of unveiling. God, Jesus came down to reveal who God is. To unveil who God is. So people could understand who God is. Jesus Christ robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us so we could understand more about God. That Jesus is the expressed image of the invisible God. That Jesus Christ is God robed in flesh. Who is God? It's Jesus. Who is Jesus? It's God. And that to get to know God, you get to know Jesus. You understand? The goal should be the same for all of us. That I may know him. If you take the two greatest Christians and the two greatest believers in all of the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Testament, without a doubt, you would say the greatest believer, the greatest uh, person in the Old Testament following after God would be Moses, without a doubt. 
in the New Testament, what person would it be that was the greatest follower? It would be the Apostle Paul. You understand that in the height, the zenith, the peak of both of their ministries, they both had the same prayer. Can you think about this? These two men who had a walk with God, who had a personal walk with God, who, who experienced God personally, that both of them had the same prayer. Imagine that. Moses and Paul had the same prayer request, the same exact prayer request. The Apostle Paul, what is it that you desire the most? Moses, what do you desire most? Both of their prayer requests was the same. That I might know him. Think about that. Here's Moses who saw 12 plagues of Egypt, or 10 plagues of Egypt go upon Egypt. He watched as the Red Sea parted. He talked with God in the burning bush. He's leading the children of Israel, two and a half million people, through the wilderness, led by a pillar of fire, fed by manna, received the Ten Commandments from Sinai. Moses, after all of this, what is the thing you desire most? That I might know him. The Apostle Paul, you were saved on the road to Damascus. You saw a light in the middle of the street. You heard the voice of Jesus. You saw what Jesus did. You died. You died in Lystra. They stoned you to death. And you walked right back up and went back into town. And witnessed to them right after you. They killed you. Paul, you went to heaven. Paul, you have all of this scripture knowledge. Paul, you know him. What do you want most out of your life right now? What is your prayer request? That I might know him. That I might know him. You understand if the two greatest Christians who ever lived, the two greatest believers who ever lived, the two greatest people that God trusted and they believed on him by faith and at the height of their ministries... They had the prayer request that I might know him. May I ask you a question? Are you satisfied with your knowledge of God? Are you satisfied with what little bit of tidbits of information you have? Now, we're not talking about just simply knowing facts and figures. We're not just saying, well, Jesus was born at Bethlehem, and then Jesus did this, and this is what happened. We're not just talking about history. We're talking about knowing him Personally, are you satisfied with your personal knowledge of God? As we approach this brand new year and we look at the high priestly prayer of Jesus, what was the prayer of Jesus concerning us? What was the prayer of Jesus that he wove all throughout here? If we could sum it up, Jesus' prayer request to God concerning us is that we might know that we might know him. As we approach this brand new year. Wouldn't that be a great goal for this next year? That I would know him more. That by the time this new year rolls around. And it's now approaching 2020. One year later. Wouldn't it be a successful year? If we said at the, in one year's time. I know God intimately. I know him more than what I did a year ago. That should be the goal. That should be the purpose. That should be the desire of all of our hearts. Is that I can know him. 
I want to know him more. I want to pursue after him. I want to learn about him. I want to experience him more. And you can. We're not talking about something spooky. We're not talking about something mystical. We're not talking about voices in our head. But we are talking about a personal knowledge of God. To experience him. To pray to him and watch him answer prayers. To see him work in our lives. To trust him more. To learn more about him. To be able to learn that we can trust him. Not just read about him. That I might know him. Now we do have to start with some basics. If you do not know for sure that heaven's your home. You don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven. Your very first step is to have Jesus Christ forgive you of all of your sins. How do I do that? Well, the Bible talks about that for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ gave you a gift, the greatest gift that you could ever be given. He gave you himself and he died on the cross for you. And all that you have to do is accept the gift. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All you must do is accept that free gift that God offered you. After that, how do you get to know God more? How do you get to know God no more? Well, Jesus gave a personal illustration here. Verse number 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. If you want to get to know God more, you talk to him. Through his word. You read about it. You study it. You get to know him. You, <laughs> how you treat your Bible is how you treat Christ. Love the Bible. Enjoy the Bible. Experience the Bible. The Bible also talks about pray, prayer. That when we pray, we talk to God. And God wants to answer our prayers. He wants to have that intimate relationship. We can know him. And so as we approach this new year... Let me ask you, what is the goal for your spiritual life this upcoming year? I encourage you to have the same goal that Moses had. I encourage you to have the same goal that Paul had, that I might know him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.